Again, another year, another Tisha B'Av. You know, we never thought that we'd be sitting here again. Every time we do a Tisha B'Av event, we assume this is going to be the last one we have together. But it's not. We're here again. What a day. And it's another opportunity that we have as a nation to sort of spend a couple of minutes before the day is over. To take in what we learned, to be able to process our message. You know, growing up, I remember very much when I was a kid growing up. And yes, tell me if you remember this as well. Growing up as a kid, I remember the Tishrev was like, you wake up in the morning, you go to Kinos. There was no explanation for Kinos, right? It was like you re- get those books, those pamphlets without any English in it, and then the rabbi starts, and they didn't even announce the Kinos. It was just say all of the Kinos. The whole book. The whole book. You just sit there with your dad. You hope to not fall asleep. And if you didn't kill yourself by the time Kinos was done, you can live to spend five hours staring at a wall until Tishrev was Until I got to camp. Right, right. Until camp is a whole camp. other story. But what's amazing about Tishrev today, and for those of us that have been involved, and if you're watching right now or you're listening right now, you're probably one of those people, is that Tishrev has totally transformed over the past decade. Tishrev has gone from a day in which we have nothing to do, we sat around, we said keynotes that we didn't understand, and we just waited and waited and waited until our bagels come, to a day in which every moment of every day if you're paying attention, there's something for you to learn. There's something for us to get. I remember looking over just a couple of days before this Tish above and seeing the level, the amount of programs that are of is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Even just look one one website was you know broadcasting all these different programs. It really is amazing. Yeah. In in by my in laws house where we were staying in Muncie, one room was watching the Torah Anytime live. The other room was watching the Chavetz Chaim film. We had like different studio right. rooms. For this. Right. Like Lahavdi, like they have in different games, and everyone's broadcasting for different times. Right. And that's where we are right now. That's where we're in this period of time right now where we get to be programmed. And the way it works for those that are sort of just watching this is that nobody programs, and then somebody has the opportunity to program because they have an extra head start. The OU did it years ago. Do you remember when they first did the keynotes? And then there's one thing to do, and then it explodes. And there's a million things to do. And Chafetz Chaim's got, ton- I mean, they've always been doing this, but they've got tons of, of, of opportunities. And then you go online and you go here and, and you then go they, there. Even, even they went from to, to a kid's program they have as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And Ornava and Torah Anytime. I mean, Torah Anytime, by the way, just to give a shout out for one second, Torah Anytime. I know they have been working nonstop. I got an email from them last night with 50 things, literally, every single hour on there. And I think they're actually doing this as well. Charlie, you know, we spoke, we spoke about this last year because their site actually crashed last year. Because of all the people that want to get on there and watch and listen, you know, I spoke to Yosef Davis, who's uh, streaming this now on Torah Anytime. He said this year they got it right, and I didn't hear anything about their site crashing. So it's really amazing. People from all over, from all over the world, really, all yeah. different time zones are really tuning in. And I don't think what could be, I, I, I can't imagine what could be better than that. The opportunity today, that the day in which, you know, the Tzivah Shalom says that this is the day in which we're able to tap into Kusta Dichiyusa, that we think the Tishrav is really a day of somberness and, and sadness, but it's not. Tishrav is a day of mourning. You know, someone once said to me an amazing thing, that if you ever look into mourning, how does Judaism relate to mourning? Someone, God forbid, loses a loved one. So after the Leviah is over, they go into mourning. So what happens? They get home, 
and the line starts. And people start coming in and start talking about the person. Like, what? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I have a friend of mine who lost Nebuch. He lost a, a, a close family member, someone who was very young in his family. And he was an amazing guy, but nobody ever knew. And during Shiva, all these stories started coming out. And his parents and his grandparents and siblings were sitting in the room going, what? I had no idea. What? I had no idea. And the mourning process is a process of getting to know the deceased. It's not... There are moments where you cry, and there are moments where you miss it, and there are moments where you miss the person, but what you miss about the person during the period of mourning is that I had no idea who you were. I can't believe I've been living with you for 50 years. I can't believe you you were my dad. I thought you were this type of my dad. I didn't know you were that type of my dad. And you see a person in mourning go through a reconnection to the person, and that reconnection combined with I'll never be able to see you again is what brings sadness. But it's not sadness. And you go through Tishabov, and we think that Tishabov is about sadness. Now, there, there were sad things that happened, and there were parts during Tishabov's the entire uh, history where people died and we had Holocaust. But the core of Tishabov is the ability to get to know our dad. And then once you go through it, go, hey, wait a second, he didn't die. The morning of Tishabov is different in that the Tishabov morning is actually trying to get us to get up and find him again. And I think that one of the things, that the, the last thing that we should be doing on Tisha B'Av is going through the day, feeling sad, even getting inspired, and then ending inspiration, and being able to go out and just waiting for that bagel to get back into our lives. Right. And, and that's why this is so important for him. That's why we actually have the radio show. Because the goal of the radio show is that in those last ten minutes, the last two hours... It should just be a shorter wait to the bagel. Right, exactly. Something to do... As you get to the end, the last two hours are not hours in which we can sort of give it up. Usually by now, all the programs are done, all the shoes are all the shoes are finished. Everyone's like exhausted. All the speakers are out. Everyone's like, okay, it's over. Let's lay down. Let's bring it out. And these are the last two hours where it all happens. You know, these are the last two hours where this is when we each have to be able to put together what we learned all day. I know my wife and I were talking before I got over here. She was taking notes on her iPhone throughout the whole day because she's like, listen, I'm going to get inspired, and then tomorrow morning I got nothing. So we were sitting around. I told you we did earlier. I'll talk about that in a second. We were actually sitting around before I left and going through this stuff. And this is what we're supposed to be doing right now. This is the two hours where each and every one of us should should be sitting around and thinking about it. So what did you think? What what, what were your big moments, I think, from from Tisha B'Av? Well, I actually got to um, watch the Chavetz Chaim. I didn't usually have that much time on Tisha B'Av, but I had time today to watch the Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation uh, video, and I was able to see, of course, Diane Abraham. Diane Abraham, as you know, um, is, uh, has been to the Project Inspired Convention, has done many, many programs together. Those were, I was most interested to hear, and it was amazing. I hope we'll be able to pull up some of what uh, Diane Abraham said yeah. in a moment. Um, and I thought that was great. I also got to watch Rabbi Wallerstein. He spoke about the power to yield, which was their theme. Um, he opened up by wondering why we have no problem waiting in our car at a yield sign for 10 cars to go by. But yet when it comes to someone else, we're ready to run them down. Yeah, you know, right, and right. He, he spoke very well. He said some amazing things on, on there. And that, that, that was a highlight also. for me. Yeah, we hope to have him later on. I also got to see the Project Witness uh, uh, film they did this year. Uh, Guy Orman will have him on later as well uh, for Project Witness, which was also amazing. You know, my, my wife's grandparents, uh, Friedenson, were survivors from Ludge, and he was on the film as well. And it was very meaningful um, to us, to our family. My kids were around watching with us, and uh, that was a highlight for me. Yeah, I can tell you one of the things that was a highlight for me. I, I, I got a chance last night to sit with my wife and watch the Project Inspire, the 10th Man. And I know this is something that you guys have worked 
endlessly on it. And I think anyone who hasn't seen it right now, you can go to projectinspired.org and still see it. And by the way, when Tisha B'Av is over, you can still see it. It doesn't have to end by Tisha B'Av. It's actually probably more enjoyable if you're eating and watching it than when you're starving and watching it. So at any point... It, it, it could make your stomach sick a little bit. Right, though. a little bit. I mean, Charlie, you've been, you've been you know, some, a critic. You are a critic in general over the years. And, you know, you got to watch the film this year. Well, like, what stuck out in your mind made this different? I love this one. I'll tell you, I, I see a lot of these, as you know. We get to be part of it sometimes. I get the opportunity to spend some time making them with you. The reason why I love this one so much was because it was raw and it was real. I felt that Rabbi Yaakov Salman, who's always amazing, at some point turned around and was so raw. He's like, here's how it is. We don't care enough. Like, that's it. Like, we just don't care enough. Like, let's stop pretending that we can care more than we really, we really do. And to me, at least, one of the parts of it that were very telling, i got to tell you, when I was watching Abe sit in that shul, and the first five minutes, I'm like, all right, all right. All right. And then it just no one walked up to him. And then n- the next five minutes, and I'm like, there's no way. And I'm like watching it with my wife, and we're like, no, it's not going to happen. Five more minutes, ten more minutes. And then you had the rabbi on, Rabbi Landau, right? And he's saying, he's also was shocked, right? Squirming. And, and, then the, and, then, and I'm thinking to myself, as it's going on, the first thing you do when you see that film, if you haven't seen the film, for those that are listening and tuning in right now, if you haven't seen the film, you got to go just bookmark it on your website, Project inspire.org projectinspire.com or projectinspire.com that's what it is projectinspire.com just bookmark it it is an amazing amazing film it is worth the time and whatever the fee is so I just want to it's a $10 minimum donation but just going back a little bit to Diane Abraham um, I hope to be able to get Diane Abraham mm-hmm. on, the, on the phone from London as well momentarily um, on the Chavetz Chaim film he says a story which to me was a highlight Tell the story about Aaron Cutler when he was. Do we have Do we have the audio on that that we could pull up? The, let's take a listen to yeah, the story. Let's, let's we'll, listen to. For those that are, hopefully we get to speak to Diane Abraham. Afterwards. For those that are tuning in on video, in case you don't see it, we're going to be playing the audio clip. For those of you who are on the audio, um, you can check it out on audio. We're actually going to be playing an actual clip from Diane Abraham in his speech this this week that he did for Tishabov. An unbelievable insight I heard from Moran Hamashkiach, a guy not Shlita, over thirty years ago. He told us the following Maisa from Moran Sarha Torah, Hagoyen Agodle Baron Kotler, Zechet Sadik In 1959, on the way back from Ertisrael, Rabaran Kotler spent a short time in England. Following the requests of the Rosh Hashiva of Gateshead, Rabaran Kotler accepted and came up to spend the Shabbos in Gateshead. An Ir HaTorah, a wonderful kehillah with a yeshiva, seminaries, kodalim. Upon getting off the train in the train station in Gaita, Rabban Kotler was met by an unbelievable sight. The whole kehillah, Anoshim, Noshim, Vataf, men, women and children, the Rabbonim, Rosh Yeshiva, on one side all the yeshiva bochrim, right on the other side all the Galsim Sem, the Bnei Kodal, the Bnei Torah, the whole Kehillah were waiting at the train station. And the Baron was nishtobim, he was so taken aback by the Mahmud of Kveira Torah, by the respect given and the unity of the Kehillah standing there. At the station he said the following word. He said, Chazal tell us, the Gemara says in the Dorim, who can explain to us why the Churban happened? Says the Gemara, Hashem answers, Al Ozvam Esterosi, because they forsook my Torah, 
We didn't make We didn't make the morning blessings over learning Torah prior to learning Torah. As the Ran explains, B'Shem Rabbeinu Yoyin on the spot, somehow Torah wasn't important enough, wasn't something of enough reason to celebrate to make a bracha over. Standing at the train station, a baron Kotler Zechernel Bracha asked, was the base Hamidos destroyed because we didn't make Berchus HaTorah? Or because of Sinas Chinom? Said Rabbi Kotler, Stolzach for, imagine for a moment, that a person was driving along and had in his pocket a lottery ticket. And it found out, perhaps to put it in today's contemporary setting, there was a mega millions draw. A hundred million dollars was being drawn and he pulls out his ticket and listens to the numbers as he's standing at the traffic lights and he counts out the numbers and the numbers start matching and he suddenly realized in his hand he has the winning ticket for a hundred million dollars. He's won a fortune. He'll pay off every debt and pay for every moisture and pay for the future, anything he wants. And as he's taking off from the lights with his ticket in hand, the car next to him cuts in front of him. Would it bother him? Would it even register? Would he have the slightest concern about something so nourished when he's got in his hand a hundred million dollars? Said Rabaran Kotler, if we would have been Mavorich Batayrat Chilo, if you would have put into context the fact that if Klal Yisrael would have had a Simcha Satera realizing what it means to be the beneficiaries of this legacy, the greatness of Torah, if we'd have had that celebration of life and realized what we had with Torah, it wouldn't have been possible to come to petty, baseless hatred. It wouldn't have been possible to come to Sinas Chinon. Voltes Simongagangan. So somebody said something not nice. But you've got Torah. Look what you have got. Because we didn't appreciate what we had. We didn't contextualize. And we couldn't be mavater on small things. And small things became big problems. And big problems became catastrophic outcomes. That was Diana Abraham in an unbelievable lecture that he gave over Tisha For those of you who haven't seen it before, you really missed out. We so, have... It was on the Chavetz Chaim Heritage Nation film that we were able to, to pull with that permission. Right. We have actually Diane Abraham on the line here from England. Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Good to be with you, Yossi and Charlie. It's such an honor to have you on. We appreciate We know it's late over there. We were all very moved by that story and by your entire presentation. You know, we're sitting here in the last few minutes here in America, at least, on Tisha B'Av. And the question that I had, and I'd love to get your insights on this, when you, when you tell the story of the ability to appreciate the lottery ticket, you know, to me, I'm thinking, you know, back in the old days, my great-grandparents, maybe they had, a, they had an excuse because they worked all day. My grandfather, when he was four years old, he was already out in the fields. Today, we live in a world where everyone has tire on their fingertips. Everyone has the opportunity to learn, to, to study, to, to go. How come now, at this period of time, with all that we have, we still don't see it as a lottery ticket? Great point. 
perhaps it's because of the Berchu Baterot Chilo. Perhaps we see terror as something which in very many ways we take for granted. Terror downloaded, terror in a hurry, terror on the way. <laughs> Rather than a Berchu Baterot Chilo sitting down, switching off and really focusing on our learning, making it the Iker, the bookends of the day, the Kihem Chayenu. Although Baruch Hashem, we have unprecedented, unprecedented access to terror unrivaled possibilities, and really, in historical terms, a huge amount of Klal Yisrael Baruch Hashem coming back to Torah. But sometimes in the quality of the focus, in the sense of illuminating our eyes through Torah, and really absorbing it in a way that it gives us a Torah perspective on life. Perhaps that's the additional meaning of isn't just to realize we're fortunate to have Torah, it's to make it the kihem chayenu, to make it the ikr, to make it the focus. And the litmus test may not be in quantity of time spent. It's in quality of focus. And, and it comes to terror learning, to be able to put other things aside and to really focus on developing a connection with what we're learning in depth or to the extent we're able to at the exclusion of everything else at that time. This is Yossi. And, and in the story you mentioned, this was specifically... This was the antidote. This was what was going to take care of sinas chinam. Like that was the, if we berchu b'tarut chilam, we recognize that as the treasure that it is. That all the all the sinas chinam goes away. Perspective. You have the right priorities that put things in perspective. The person has the unification, the unifying kirk of Torah for a start. The feeling that how fortunate we are with Torah, and perhaps on a deeper level as well, how interdependent we are. Are we are linked with Torah. When we camp there as one, Negetahor, facing Harasinai, we realize our interdependence and our interreliance. The Torah shared is Torah gained by both. Uh, Yossi, we know, and Charlie, we meet regularly at the Project Inspire wonderful conferences of Shabbatons and the tremendous work the Project Inspire does. It's all about sharing what we have and the sense and the energy and the dynamism which comes, Shiurim, people sharing those who know a little bit more with those who know a little bit less. And that sense of sharing itself, it's not, almost not possible to feel jealousy or sinatrinom or small things don't register when you really focus on the brightness of that big picture, that flame of clarity that Torah should be in our life. You're making such an amazing point about how one has to deepen themselves. I'm sitting here in Tisha B'Av, and I know we've got a lot of listeners that are, that are tuning in right now. And I know people are inspired. They're inspired by your talk. They're inspired by what was going on throughout the entire day. How does one, what, what advice would you give somebody that wants to forge a new path? Maybe even I've, I've learned Torah before, but the Torah that I learned, they may be thinking, isn't bringing me closer to people. I'm learning Torah and seeing other Jews and thinking they're worse. Every time I learn, I think there's people that are doing less and less and less. What path can somebody take today where they're, they're able to engage in Torah in the right way, in the way in which they're developing that deep sense of appreciation and achdus with the Torah, that it's connecting and not bringing us apart? A rather large question, a rather broad question. Just one point maybe to introduce it. The Talmud was over some five hours ago in Eretz They heard from my son there that he became aware that we have Abdullah and then you start eating. That's how you finish the Talmud. Rebchan Kanievsky Schlitter and Varnev Steyman finished the Talmud and take out the Gemara because the fast of the Tanis, the time in not being able to learn is now over. And the first thing I did after Havdolah was to open the Gemara to start going back to what they were missing most during the day. 
Wow. Sometimes it takes a small gesture to really put things in perspective, what we're missing. Yeah. Missing, I think this is the pre-Bagel hour or two. It's also <laughs> the pre-Gamora, the pre-Dafayomi hour or two. In practical terms, I can't answer a regular but thinking about your question is a very profound question and broad question. But how can we forge a new path and make a commitment which really gives us a new perspective? And ultimately, it's what we make a priority of. If the words of Torah to us become a priority, and in that we know that often it takes outer superficial actions to really inform us or to really inspire us inwardly. If we did switch off when it came to learning, if we did make a time and kept it rigorously, if we made a point of sharing something that we do know with somebody who doesn't know it, a chavusa, or somebody in shul, or somebody less privileged with a Torah education, making a point of reaching out to share a vote to Dvar Torah, a Dvar Halotah, Chumish, or something, whatever it may be, but to treat it in our own lives as sharing life. That's our Hatzolah program. When it comes to Hatzolah, any member of Hatzolah would run off to help any Yid, any person they can, any Yid that give whatever oxygen, whatever assistance they could give. If we started working in our own lives in some way, a small action, but to show ourselves that providing some Torah learning, sharing Torah with somebody who doesn't yet know, is giving them oxygen. And it does tend to start rubbing off in the decisions we make and how we actually confront, or how we decide and what priorities we place in our Torah learning and the Torah absorption that we show when we are learning. I think if I may say that's critical. And now there becomes in quantity. We have access and availability in an unrestricted way. Quality, to become absorbed in it, really shut off all the other intrusions in life. Solomon numerous times has said the biggest problem with the technology revolution that we face today isn't just what comes in in unfettered and unrestricted ways into our consciousness. It's simply being connected constantly and on call to other things. That people get so distracted they simply can't sit by a Gomorrah or by Mishnabura more than a couple of minutes, not having their thumbs automatically moving or their hands moving to a pocket to check about the latest message. And that inability to focus is a critical problem in terms of feeling absorbed and feeling connected. If we don't feel connected, it's harder to feel that sense of, the real sense of Kehim Chayel. If we do it outwardly and we sort of set ourselves past not to be distracted and to share Torah and to share mitzvahs and to show ourselves how important our Torah is by sharing with somebody else, that which we do outwardly tends to affect us inwardly and can develop a momentum of true appreciation of the Eim Wow. Dine Abram, we thank you so much for your for your words. We appreciate your words both on the, uh, on the on the lecture that you have given on the Chofetz Chaim Heritage Foundation video that has inspired so many and then to now to spend the time at the end of the day it's the middle of the night for you in London. We appreciate your constant care for Klal Yisrael and your words today on our show. It's an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, shukar, shukar, thank you. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll learn the Dafiyami first. <laughs> thank you. That was that was Rabbi Di- that was Diane Abraham of London. It's such an honor that he have him on. We're sitting here today. For those that are tuning in, this is Charlie Rari and Yossi Friedman here on the Project Inspire Radio Show. For those of you, you can listen to it on on NachumSiegel.com or the NSN app and JMNAM.org. For those that are that are actually watching it, you can watch it on ProjectInspire.com, the YeshivaWorld.com. Matzav.com and Torah anytime. 
Our next guest that we're going to have here is actually in Sodi studio right now. We have Roger Goldberg right here right now. He's an unbelievable individual. We're actually going to sort of transition to an amazing point. You know, Diane Abram just mentioned something really important, and I think this is a total shift in how we see Tyra. And if we saw Tyra in this way, it would change how we relate to each other. When we're running through Torah, when Torah becomes the thing we check off the list, I was once on a train and I'm watching a guy and he's like racing through Mishnayis, which is wonderful and beautiful and amazing. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, because I got to finish like four Mishnayis that he had worked it out that if he finished these many Mishnayis at a certain time, then he would do make a him at a certain time. Like he worked the whole thing out. I'm thinking, like, well, are you, you're learning for the, the, the thing or you're learning for the him? And we're just, and it's great, but we, if we're just learning for Siyumim, it's like we're just going and going and going and going. And Rav Noah Weinberg spoke about this a lot, and I think this is what Dian Abram was speaking about here, is that when you slow down a drop, and you don't learn as much for a second, and you learn some part of your learning is deep, and it's slow, and you're really able to understand and ascertain the depth of what we actually have, the wisdom for life, just how lucky we have something that is so unbelievably deep and unbelievably spiritual. Once we go deep on something, we get a certain sense of just how amazing it is. And when Torah has, now you have to learn and you have to know, but when Torah has that feeling, that depth, once you hit that moment of this is wisdom for life, it becomes addictive, you feel lucky, and then you turn around to everyone around you with a totally different totally different perspective. And I think there's no one better to talk about this right now than Roger Goldberg. Roger Goldberg is here with us right now. Thank you, Roger, for joining us on the show. Thank you, Charlie, for having me. It's a real honor to be here with you guys. It's great to have you on. Roger is an individual who is going in less than a week to Eretz Yisrael for the first time to Yeshiva or Samer to delve into the Sea of Torah. It is an honor to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit your background and how you go from, where did you start from? Did you always grow up religious? Did you have connection to Torah? Give us a little bit more about you in the background. Okay, so uh, I come from Columbus, Ohio, uh, actually born in Israel, but I grew up in uh, in Columbus, and uh, I belonged to a reform synagogue in Columbus, which basically means I really didn't have any connection uh, whatsoever to observant Judaism or to, uh, didn't really know a lot of observant Jews, and I, you know, had a bar mitzvah. I went to a uh, summer camp in Israel, but that was really the only connection uh, that I had to Judaism. Uh, Roger, just if I, coming off the film, the the project inspired from. I don't know if you saw, but what was your view then of religious Jews that you saw around you? Like, what was what was your uh, outlook in terms of like, you know, that border? That's a great question. Um, I thought Be that, truthful, by the way. We won't get yeah, offended. We won't get offended. Sure. I thought that... No one's, no one's watching anyway. <laughs> um, I thought that religious Jews seemed backwards to me, to be honest with you. Um, I thought, you know, we're living in, in uh, modern times. Why? What's up with all the ancient traditions? And why is everybody walking around uh, holding on to these ancient ideas? Uh, to be honest with you, it just seemed like uh, get with the times. Mm-hmm. So what happens, how do you go from get with the times Columbus looking over and saying, guys, for real, to where you're right now? What's the first sort of step on the bridge that you took? Well, I spent some time living in Israel in 2013. Um, I wasn't really doing anything particularly 
Jewish, uh, related to Jewish learning, I happened to uh, meet uh, a girl in Central Park who was Israeli, and uh, we fell in love, and I moved to Israel to see if uh, anything would uh, would work out. And um, unfortunately, things didn't work out with uh, the relationship, but I uh, one day was walking around the old city of Jerusalem and walked into Eish Torah World Headquarters and happened to sit down in uh, Gabriel Friedman's class, and I was just riveted. He's so high energy, and I, you know, I thought to myself, like, you know, give me whatever that guy's on. It's uh, incredible. Right, right. It's not right there. I mean, we 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 know Rav Gav. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. there's no one out there it's like high Rav octane. Gav. It's it high is high octane. octane. But did that make you? Did that change your outlook on religious Jews? Did you look at this guy and say, like, well, he's not Amish? It wasn't just that speech, but it, it was kind of a, com- a, a combination of hearing um, several of the other rabbis and just spending about a week of time hearing uh, Judaism explained to me in a way that, that really made sense and that showed me that there was tremendous depth and wisdom to be gleaned from this tradition that I had just written off as something totally that I wasn't interested in. Right. I mean, was there something, you know, in, even in hearing you saying it, it sounds amazing. I'm thinking to myself, what was it? Did, can you find it? I mean, it's hard. I know I know. there's never one moment, but is was there something that you were sitting in a class or you were multiple classes that you, at some point you stopped and said, wait a second, there's something that I missed before. Was there a moment like that or was there something like that? Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with just the realization that um, a lot of the explanations of, you know, only a certain amount of generations ago, we were at Mount Sinai, and that realization that uh, the people in our tradition have been doing these this stuff for, you know, thousands of years, and I'm just learning and it's like a continuation of uh, things that have been happening for this long period of time that just kind of really hit home and uh, also seeing a lot of the archaeological uh, evidence that shows Jews being Jewish thousands of years ago um, that really impacted me a lot so there's a truth to it there was a there was a continuity this wasn't being made up you felt and that we have a tradition that goes back a long time. And there's a reason why it goes back a long time. It's not just because. Exactly. I think another thing that really hit home was uh, was the incredible, just the, the history of, you know, so many empires who are far stronger than, than the Jews ever were at any period in history have tried to eliminate Jews and crush the religion but you know every successive empire that has tried to do that has has failed right. and that is a miraculous uh, aspect of well, that, our history well, that's right. a little bit where we yeah. stand today you know we're here here at the base of interest was destroyed and here we are ousted again but history yeah. repeats itself and we hope to be back there yeah, yeah it's an amazing thing i always think about this also on tishabab i think about you go through the history and you got the Babylonians knock us out first. Then you got Greece shows up and messes us up, and that's the whole Hanukkah story. Then you got the Romans, and the whole way through, you got all these big empires that totally take over, and yet we're still sitting around. And I think right. it was Mark Twain who said, "What is the secret to our immortality? Like, there's something happening, and that's something I guess was drawing you. So you go to Israel, you're inspired. We all get inspired, right? And that doesn't last. I mean, it's nice, but it doesn't last. So you come back to America, and now you're what? You're living in New York? 
Yeah, so I come back to uh, New York, and at that time I was living in uh, in North Brooklyn in Bushwick, uh, mm-hmm. which is a community that doesn't have a lot of Jewish life. There is a Chabad there. Uh, but I got an email from uh, from Aish New York asking me if I wanted to uh, get a learning partner. I, I had never had a one-on-one uh, Chavrusa before, so I said, sure, sign me up. I got signed up with uh, with a great guy, Menachem Blackman, uh, here in uh, Flatbush at Or Yitzchak. So I started going uh, every Wednesday for uh, you know for an hour to, from Bushwick down to down to Flatbush and learning with this guy and just kind of so you were traveling to him. That's nice. Exactly, I, I was traveling to him. Wow, that's great. And, uh, an hour you were saying you were traveling. Well, I, yeah, an it hour takes to learn. about an hour, forty-five minutes to get from Bushwick to Flatbush. And can I ask you why'd you get on the train for? What was what was getting you on that train every time when life, rain, snow, busyness, tired, you got sick one day? What's the thing that's driving you going, I want to go back and I want to go back? I just felt that I had been introduced, like the, the veil of my own ignorance to the splendor of what Judaism has to offer has had been lifted off of my eyes. And I, you know, I just really wanted to keep on learning and keep going down that path. I love what you just said. I just, I'm writing it down right now. Sure. Splendor of what Judaism has to offer. I want my kids to have this in their room. Splendor of what Judaism has to offer. If you're listening right now, if you're watching it, you got to understand what he just said. I hope and pray that every one of us that's listening right now actually feels the splendor of what Judaism has to offer. And that splendor is what got you on the train. Yeah, exactly. That's unbelievable. And how long are you learning for? Um, so the, the whole thing uh, in Israel started in December of 2013. Uh, I came back um, and you know learned with this Chavrusa for a while. We're still we're still friends. I'm actually going to be breaking the fast with him later tonight, so uh, that, that's going to be great. I knew there was a reason you got out all the way here to Brooklyn. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right, great. Exactly. Could I ask you what did you learn together? Um, well, the, we we uh, read the Garden of Amuna and uh, the Chafetz Chaim lesson a day. That's what we were focused on. That's amazing. Well, let me let uh, me ask you. You know, there there are people that are watching, and certainly the people who are watching on ProjectInspired.com and know that what you know what we do, and certainly after our film today, the Tenth Man. What role did religious Jews who you thought to be ancient play in the in in the role of getting you to where you are today? Definitely the answer has to be just showing me what a strong community is out here. Um, I remember the first night that I woke up in Flatbush after I had moved from uh, Bushwick to Flatbush in order to be around more of a Jewish uh, community. I was looking for a place to eat breakfast, and I I stopped a passerby, a religious Jew on the street, and asked him, where can I get an omelet around here? He said, you know, there's this place and that place, but... What are you doing this Shabbos? Why don't you come over and have a meal? Just like a random stranger off the street, and uh, that's just one example. Did you of, go? Did you go? I, you know, sadly, I haven't uh, haven't connected with him yet, but uh, but soon. Do you know who he is? He's in my phone somewhere. Okay. <laughs> well, if you're watching right now, strange, wonderful angel stranger that you're out there. If you're watching right now, I hope that you call in. We want to hear from you. Is there a call in number that we can get in here that you can? Uh, let's see if we can get a call in. Call seven one eight. We're going to answer your call number. We're going to put it up. 718 Okay. Se- if, if you're watching, 718 I want to know if you're there. Why, call us in so right now. You just, I just want to get this out. 
the fellow invited you for Shabbos, you don't really know who he is, he's somewhere on your phone, yet when I asked you what impact it made you, that was the example you gave me, you didn't even go to his house. I didn't go to his house, I think that was, you know, that was early on in my time in Flatbush, I was still kind of getting to know. But it made an uh, impact It, it made a huge impact, um, and, and just the warmth that I've been uh, receiving from families who invite me over for, for meals on Shabbos, or who uh, uh, my friend uh, Yudi Klein, who uh, is uh, in, in, involved with Project Inspire, bought me a pair of tefillin. Just one day they showed up in my mailbox, and I was floored because I know that tefillin are not uh, cheap. So that, I mean, countless things like that just keep on uh, blowing me away of the, the kindness of the community that I've uh, that I've been meeting. And w- and what if you if you can sort of you know sort of nail it down for us. What, what is so amazing and, and what, what blows you away is it that there's something happening that is almost a secret that nobody knows about that now you almost feel like you're on the inside of. Is that what it is? Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, I got a phone call from uh, somebody from Partners in Torah who said, Roger, I want to learn with you for uh, an hour a week. Would you be willing to do that? And I told him, you know, I'm actually more interested in the Eastern philosophy and Buddhism and I remember what he told me. He said, Roger, you really should start looking in your own backyard first before you go exploring other things. And I just kind of wrote it off as, yeah, I don't care. But now I remember that conversation, and I and I know how I feel about what I'm learning now and the wisdom that I'm gaining now, and that just like sticks out in my head and my memory so, so strongly. Last question, I know that we've kept you for a little bit, but last question that I, that I have, at least I don't know if Yassi has a question, mm-hmm. is that I know that for myself, for many people that are watching, I know that Project Inspire as a, um, as a movement is trying to sort of break a stereotype, and I want you to comment on it, which is that many times you see people that are less religious, that are less connected, that are less affiliated. And the feeling is that if you're less commit, committed or connected, then you don't want people that are more to make any level of shows of interest. Do you find that true or do you find that if it's done correctly but the the idea that if you have some wisdom share it is actually how people are are able to grow? Yeah, I, I think that uh at least in my own experience I I'm somebody who I, I studied psychology for a long time, especially positive psychology um in college and uh in graduate school and I'm interested in learning how to become a better person. And the interactions that I've had with religious Jews have only helped me further my own quest to grow as a human being and to conquer my own fears and to conquer my limiting beliefs. So anything that can um, help somebody grow and learn more about themselves, I think everybody is going to be receptive to such a message. So uh, I certainly have benefited hugely from, uh, from people coming up and and sharing their wisdom with me in that way. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Have an amazing trip to Israel. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, Roger. Roger. Thank you. Chazak vemat. You know what? i got to tell you something amazing. Before we go to our next guest, I know our next guest just walked in. We're excited to bring to you um, an amazing individual who's incredibly, incredibly influential in the current Brooklyn Kirov scene. One thing I think that's really a, a theme of this show that is, um, that's coming up again and again and again and I want to make sure that the, that our listeners are totally getting this, and because it's 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 hitting me as well, which is to the extent in which we buy that the Torah is wisdom, 
the Torah isn't like, listen, here's the deal. You end up being born to this family, and so here's the story. If you don't this want God, what we do. If you don't want God to hurt you, here's how it works. Here's the list, and don't step out of line. Because if you eat on Tisha above, you know what's going to happen? You're going to choke. And do not mess with Yom Kippur. And by the way, you want to have some money to support your family? I wouldn't miss chakras, especially on the day in which you get a deal. So when you've got this like internal mentality you can't say out loud, which is, why would I make somebody else do this? You're not going to share it right. because you're embarrassed of it. Because when you see somebody else, you're thinking, why would he want this? I was born into it. He's got to get stuck with this now. There is no way he would want this. Sadly, sadly Charlie, I hear this from people all the time. Really? I spend the summer here in, in the New York area all the time. You know, why would I want to get someone else into this? It's unbelievable. Um, and you know, people that are on the inside, and they're wonderful, and God bless them, and everything's great. But on the inside, if you've never really delved, like Diane said, into the wisdom, if all you're living is in this zone of just surface, you deep down feel that way. And it comes across when you see someone with that's less. Right. If you're sitting around, and you've got something that's wisdom, if you're sitting around, and you've got, you know, an ability to change one's life, and you see the power of what it can do for you... You see someone else and go, of course I want to share it. Right. And I think that's really the difference. I think the, the linchpin of someone, whether you're successful or not, doesn't really matter. It's God's business. But the linchpin of someone that goes over and says, hey, and someone that doesn't, many times, is, there is shyness, there is, but many times is pride. Yeah. Pride. Do I love it? Right. Do I really buy it? Am I doing it to get through my life and stay comfortable? Or... And, and, and I have pro, I, I have perks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get to dive in whenever I need something. I know I, I, got, I have to heal them. I get my own little perks too. But deep down, I don't really buy it. Right. But, and then there's the other ones that are like, you know what? This is the best thing that ever happened to humanity. Exude it. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. You know, Charlie, we're going to go to a uh, word from our sponsors. Great. And when we come back, we're going to meet with uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Finger, who's the Rav and the director of BJX, Brooklyn Jewish, Jewish Experience. He'll tell us about that, and we'll continue along this thought right when we come back. Okay. Okay, so uh, we have uh, just back. We're back on the show. We're streaming live again from ProjectInspired.com. We're streaming on the YeshivaWorld.com, Matzev.com, and our friends out at TorahAnytime.com who have been uh, really the source of so much over this Tishba. We spoke about that earlier. 
Um, I, I spoke to Yosef Davis, you know, from Torah anytime before Tishbo. He was just so excited to bring this much Torah learning yeah, to the Jewish world that. out there. They're unbelievable. Right now, we've got an amazing guest on for those who are joining us right now. Uh, we've got a great guest, Rabbi Yitzhak Finger is on. He's the rabbi of BJX, the Brooklyn Jewish Experience. It is an organization that opened up, and it is relatively recent, right? It's just a few years, but has made such an impact on our community. An individual who is so committed to bringing Torah to, to all types of Jews. Rabbi, thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you, Shakur. So tell us a little bit about what you think is the message that you have um, from Tisha B'Av and how it relates to our world today and what are the things that you think are things that we should talk away with right now. We're about an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes left in the fast. What is some, something that someone right now listening could, a nugget that they can take away with? First of all, it's an honor to be here with my friends from Project Aspire and I see Rabbi Tversky, my dear neighbor and friend in the audience as well. Uh, I feel like right now it's an ELA time. The gates are closing. It's, uh, the fast is almost over. And the fact is, Arizal says that Mashiach is born Matsoi Tishabov. So whether it means uh, at the close of Tishabov or the immediate departure of Tishabov, but Mashiach is certainly on the horizon. And the fact is, is that we all need Mashiach desperately. We're, we're just languishing right now in horrible suffering and sorrow. Uh, we have an imminent threat from Iran. Uh, there's a deal and a treaty that was signed that is just absolutely preposterous and ludicrous. It's uh, reminiscent of something that Chamberlain and Germany and Czechoslovakia. And uh, we're in dire, dire need of true Yeshua, of true salvation. And the question is, how do we get there? And, uh, you know, it's interesting because of all the biblical personalities, of all the Avois HaKadoshim and the Imois, none of them have the yard site chronicled in the Torah. Not one. It's, I mean, if you think of that, it's a fascinating anomaly. Not one of the f- famous Torah per- personalities have their Torah, have, sorry, have their yard sites chronicled in, in the Torah. It's called the Torah Kuli, look at. There's only one exception, that is Aaron Godel. Torah says in Chukas and Amasei that he passed away on the fifth month, the first day, he died on Rosh Chodesh Odor. And the question is, you know, why? Why is he so important? Why is he so pivotal and critical here that his yard site should be recorded in the Torah from all the different personalities? And I saw based on the Zohar and the Meshachachma and others that Aaron was a semel, he was the paragon and paradigm of peace and of achdus, of unity, where he reached out to every single Jew. He was the Oyev Shalom, the quintessential lover of a fellow Jew. Verodev Shalom, he pursued peace, and if he saw that there was any fraction, if there was any disunity, he made it his business to give love to another Jew. Unconditional, undiluted, unadulterated love. And when he passed away on Rosh Chodesh Adar, that was a harbinger for all disunity, for the fact that the Bati Mekdashos would be destroyed, all the persecution, the pogroms, inquisitions, everything. And the fact is that means that in Chodesh Av, particularly Tishbav, it's our business to make sure to reach out to every last Jew to give them, to embrace them, to show them we love them unconditionally, no barriers, we shouldn't be stifled, we shouldn't have any inhibitions. We took off our shoes today, didn't we? So many think we take off our shoes as a sign of mourning, which is true. But the time of Malaga brings down a fascinating approach. He says the reason why we took off our shoes today is because Mashiach is coming today, and he says that we no longer have to worry about the Oroha Adama. Normally the earth is an interposition. It's an obstacle, it's an impediment. He says, but when you take off your shoes, you show that the earth is holy, that the earth is resplendent, everything mm-hmm. is holy. Mashiach is coming. So the shoe is a minol, is a lock. Nalayim means minol. We've got to remove our inhibitions. We've got to remove our locks and really 
Just be there for every Jew. So let me ask you this, because I, I, I want to sort of nail this down, because you're absolutely right. The, the idea of Achdus, the, 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 the symbol of Aaron Akain, what is blocking us from it? You know, I hear you. I'm going, yes, 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 yes. I'm sure people are going, yes, yes, yes. Tomorrow morning, there's something going on. We're going, and we're back to the old way. What's the yesod? Why? What can we do now that once we buy in, we're buying into doing, we're buying into being better. Is there a block or something that you've learned along the way in your in your workings and your dealings that you think that if people would just get over this, it would help them get a little bit closer to being. It's, it's, it's an excellent, excellent question. I wish I had the answer, but uh, you know, I learned something from Rav Kook's himself. And in our Yeshiva Shevelt, Rav Kook is not so well accepted. The fact that he was a massage condition for Rav Yashif, who was the Poisek And Rav Kook was very disparaged and uh, denigrated by the Hamayna, by a lot of the population. And one day he was walking, and uh, these Kanoim, these zealots, they went ahead, shockingly, and they went up to a rooftop and they took putrid water feces, and they poured it over him. And, you know, listen, anybody's impulsive reaction, anybody's instinctual reaction would be to get those guys and suffocate them, you know. And he went ahead and his Talmudim were going to go after them, and he said, listen, bring them over. So they're waiting for the reprisal, the retribution, the Nakama. And he said, no, no, I want them because I want to hug and kiss them, I want to embrace them. Because so, I'd rather be guilty of havas chinom, of baseless love, than sinas chinom, than baseless hatred. And the fact is like this, you know, that today our communities became very polarized, insular. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. But just 70 short years, and, I, you know, I made this point last night in BJX, and I also made it on the video that we had today. So I don't want to be too redundant, but it's, just, it's something that's jarring to me. That's something that I think everybody in the Project Inspire audience should know, and the whole world should know, that 70 years is, was this Tishma, 70 years since the Holocaust. And... The Holocaust showed Hitler, Yamakshim of Israel, was the greatest educator of the Jewish people, if you think about it. Because he showed that you don't discriminate against a Jew. Yeah. You don't discriminate. And uh, he didn't discriminate. Who are we to discriminate? Who are we to right. discriminate? Excellent point. Rabbi, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us. It's such an honor to have you sure, on. It's an honor and pleasure. Yeah. 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 Just, just along this line, I know you had a, a program today. What, what, was the, what was the topic and the, you know, for those who didn't yet get, get a chance to see it, the, the approach was along these lines? So the approach was, uh, we also had Rav Mordechai Becher was right. on there too, but uh, the approach that I took was shoes. That if you go to Auschwitz, you go to the Danube River, you go to, you see the, t- the Titanic, all the remnants and remains, there's no cadavers, there's no human remains, it's all shoes. What does a shoe represent? And the shoe represents the lock. This is based on the Arizal and uh, based on other Mepharshim, but the shoe represents the lock, the inhibition that we have, that we got to get over, that we have to show our love to our fellow Jews. Amazing. Okay, amazing. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Rabbi, it's, it's, such an you. And it's such an opportunity. I and think. Shui, you know that uh, Rabbi Finger, who runs uh, BJX, he's the director in the row of BJX, they have, all, you know, just yeah. exactly what he described, all types all of Jews, types. doesn't matter what background, and they, and they really cater, you know, to all, to all those people without any boundaries, without any locks, without any shoes. It's an amazing concept, I think. I think part of it, and, and Rabbi Finger is such a, a person that I think exemplifies this, it's really, you need a sense of self-confidence to be someone who is Avashinim. You know, the idea of Cook is walking down the street in Yerushalayim somewhere and somebody has the gall to even just say something, let alone do something. And his response is not even appropriate. It's, how do you have that ability to be Mavater, such an It has to come, I think, with self-confidence. And I think that the people that are self-confident, they know who they are, 
I think the people that know who they are are able to treat other people beyond what they are getting. Because deep down, they, they know who they are. Sure, I, mean, I don't need you to tell me that I'm good. I don't need, if you tell me that you don't disagree with me, it's not that like, oh no, you disagree with me. Like, now my whole life is gone. I mean, this story of Rukuk that he, that he mentioned was, is really David Melech. You know, David Melech is standing there and Shimi ben Gera curses him. And, and he says to his people, no, 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 don't do it. Exactly like Rukuk right, said, no, don't right. do it. Hashem Amr Kalel, Hashem And, because David Melech knew who he was, and it didn't matter what Shimi ben Gera, but yet, he had to do the right thing, and before he was nifter, he had, you know, Shem had to be killed because, after all, he was a Mari Melech, but it had nothing to do with him. Right, right, right. You know, I, just a just interesting point. I over Shabbos, I heard an amazing. You know, the question is asked, like, you know, sinas chinam, right? What does it mean, sinas chinam? We don't hit anybody for nothing. There's a reason. Yeah. Right. If they poured water down from the roof, and that was the reason, right? It's not sinas chinam. So Rabbi Wilner, I was davening by Muncie, pointed out that. It, we also learned that that Klai Yisrael by the Meragim cried a shachinam, right? Of nothing. What do you mean it was nothing? Here they were, they were petrified. They walked into the land of Israel. They weren't getting in there. What was the chinam? He says that because he brought it from Rav Palm just quickly. He said that you can't be makna something but you also can't give it to something that was loy Which means if I wanted to be makna to an uber who was not yet born, mm-hmm. I can't do it. So Gemara asks why, but our Misha says you could. Misha is referring to your own. Why could you be makna something to your own unborn child and not someone else? The Gemara, if Pam points out, the Gemara says because when it's your child, all when, when it's someone else's child, all you know, there's so many things that could happen for that child not to be born. So many things that could happen, and worries, and all these, you know, uh, circumstances that can that can go on. So that's why you're, there's no smichas das. But when it's your child. All those excuses that you never think about it. It's my child, right? You're focused if Smichas does. So if Kla Yisrael would have looked at Eretz Yisrael and said, We know these all these problems, but it's my land, it's my Rabbanjah, mm-hmm. okay. all those things would have gone Amazing. away. And that's in the screen. If we can look at we don't realize the value of another Jew, another a friend of yours, right? And that relationship. If we would think of that then it's chin. Everything else is like we just don't appreciate it. Yeah. Everything else would go away. Yeah. Like that's the point that he that he made right. over here is that you yeah. know we got to look past that. Yeah, I mean we're gonna be, we're gonna come back in one second. We've got an amazing, amazing individual who's in the room right now, a Rav who's gonna be joining us in a couple of minutes. For those of you who are tuning in right now, you're listening to the live radio show here with Charlie Rao and Yossi Freeman. You're listening online and audio at NachumSiegel.com and the NSN app. You're listening at JMNegum.org. If you're listening on the video and you want to, you go to ProjectInspire.com, YeshivaWorld.com. Matzav.com and Torah anytime. When we come back, we're going to have the schuss to be hearing from a Rav that's going to be sitting here, that's sitting here right now with us. He's in the room right now. Uh, we'll be back in one minute. Here's a straight, a, a quick video from our sponsors. <laughs> Oh, 
Back to the show, we have a big schuss. We have a big schuss today. We, in fact, Yossi and I spoke about where to do this, and I was pushing for Farakway because it's close to my house. And he said, "There's no way we're doing Farakway." I said, "How come?" He goes, "Because they have such illustrious individuals that live in Brooklyn, and the show would be so much greater if we had the schuss to have some of the rabbanim that have such a tremendous amount of Torah to give to Kali." So I said, "All right, you know what? You're right. I'll just drive." An hour to no, get No here. offense to Farakway. No offense to Farakway. For those that are tuning in from the Farakway Five Towns area, that's okay. No offense given. We have this list today to have Rav Mordechai Dov Bertorsky, the Hornerstiple Rebbe, in, 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 the, in, the, in the room with us today. Thank you so much, Rav, for taking the time to come here on the show. When, when, my, when my mind is already going fuzzy at the end of Teshubav, is a perfect time to get <laughs> So we were speaking about earlier, a couple of minutes ago, about the idea, the story of Cook that was mentioned. And, and yesterday we were just talking a little bit about how... What does it take for an individual to be able to overlook stuff that happens to them? We had suggested and wanted to get your thoughts is a certain amount of confidence that someone has to have individually in order to really be someone that could have Avas Well, you know, but my uncle, Dr. Abraham Twersky, wrote one book 40 times on self-confidence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a popular theme. However, I think that Tishabov, I found in Tishabov a very unique, a unique insight. I was once asked at a conference on Holocaust. On the Holocaust, <coughs> somebody came over. A woman came over to me. and Says, "I don't understand you, Hasidim." He says, "The Sachmer Rebbe used to sing Chazde Hashem It was like his favorite nigan. He says, "How could he do it? He lost his wife and children. His entire kihila had to rebuild from scratch. How could he sing Chazde Hashem Kileisomna?" I said, "Well, it's very simple. Where's the pasuk from? Echa. It's from Echa." Yeah. I says, however, it's more than that. If you follow the psukim, because there's a pair of gimel and eicha, right? it says the last pasuk of Zion is three times the aleph base in pair of gimel. Zois ashiv al This I will put on my heart, and therefore I have hope. In the middle of the deepest and darkest nevuah the klal Yisrael ever had, right? I am the person who is suffering it in pair of gimel. Yermio is personalizes the agony of Klal Yisrael. And yet he says, this is what I'm going to hold on to and have hope. And the next passage is, Every single morning I have to get up and renew my belief in Hashem. And the Svarim say, that's the source for my Da'ani every single day. Every single day when a Jew says, I don't know how I'm going to get up today. I don't know how I'm going to face the challenges of today. I don't know if I have it within me. Every single day, I have to renew the self-identity. I have to be strong enough to be able to say, this is my trust in Hashem. And that's what that Moda'ani sets off every morning. And I use it every single morning. That way, it gets me going. Wow. You're there all the time. I know that you'll always be there. She gave me today my purpose. It's a neshama ta'ira, b'chemla, with great love. Rabbi Munasecha, therefore I can trust you. And some say it means, Rabbi Munasecha, great is your trust in me. Right, your faith in me. Your faith in me. So that is, we call the first step of self, self-confidence that a Jew needs to believe is there. And it comes in the middle of Echa, in the darkest place of Klal Yisrael, the greatest sense of self-hope, self-identity, self-value, self self-confidence. Every day, start off. 
So if we start off the day saying, okay, my life that I have today, Hashem gave me, He gave me a purpose, and He gave me something, gave me an Hashemitah to do it with, then I have the courage to be able to step out into the world, and everything is, is, is going to be much easier. When we start off the day and say, oh my goodness, yesterday was terrible, well, how am I going to face today? We're stuck. Day stops us off. So therefore, to me, Tisha B'Av is that moment, that moment in the year where we come back to that crisis of Amuna. Are we ready to say, the Shalom, you love me, and you gave me the opportunity to rebuild? That's that's my t- that's my tissue bus. Wow, and, and I think that's something that we all face. And 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 what the rub is saying is something that I think if we really took it in, it would make such a difference in our lives. We walk around, and I think the question is, are we living a life to try to get as close as we can to being comfortable, or are we living a life to try to get as close as we can to being on mission? And the idea that we wake up every morning, and I know we sometimes wake up in the morning like Hashem, just like work it out for me, keep my family healthy, keep everything going with Parnas. So like I just got to get to comfortable. And I don't have the full belief that you believe in me. I don't believe that I'm on some mission. I believe that, like, I know how to get into you. And the goal for the both of us is to keep me, you know, okay. Get the balance right. Right. I'm okay. Like, my kids are okay. Everyone's getting married. Everyone's okay. Like, let's just keep that, like, desert, unencovered experience going. I had had another, just another little twist to it because, uh, you know, I do uh, marriage and family coaching. when you wake up in the morning, you say, Chazar to be Nishmosi, look across the room. That's the other half of your Nishama. <laughs> right, so yeah. if we're able to be conscious and aware that I have everything that I need in my life, I have family, children, I have the means with which to make another day valuable, then the day becomes a different day. And that requires, I think, a certain level of amunah in what Hashem has given us versus what we want from Him. Meaning knowing that he's giving me what I need to accomplish my mission versus I still need a whole bunch of things from him. So some some, some say that the Moda'ani is there because it's really condensation. But that ends with a bracha and this is the first thing in the morning. I'm not ready to make a bracha. But if you take a look at that, that that the original, the, we say the core for that, for that uh, condensed version Nobody else gave it to me. You gave it to me. You put it into me. Nobody else can take it away from me. And nobody can give it back to me. If that's the case, then nobody can take away my value. Just before we just end it, I just want to point out that we're, we're having technical issues with the video. Everyone should be patient. And we have, hope to have that back online very shortly. Okay, the audio is still working though. Yes. Okay, we're so, on. All right, let's yeah. if, if you're watching the video, just go right to nachamsegel.com. You'll be able to get the audio. We'll get you the video back. The audio on the feed is working as well, meaning where you're oh. watching it, you're oh. listening. It's not a problem with your computer. Right. It's a problem right. with our feed. We'll get it back on. Right. Don't keep on hitting refresh. You're doing good. It's all good. What, why is that message specifically for Tisha B'Av? You know, we're at the closing moments of Tisha B'Av, and people are more into introspection of, you know, at, at today than really tomorrow morning already. Like, why is it important to internalize that today, and how do we take it to tomorrow? Churban, destruction, and the connection to carbon is very strong. Because one is what I bring to Hashem, and what is what Hashem takes away from me. So we, we look at that, and this is a time when we look at all of throughout the history, the last 2,000 years, the last 70 years the, of Klal Yisrael's journey, and we see both the Churban and Karbonus that Klal Yisrael has given. 
And therefore, it's a day of, of we could easily turn to despair. We could say, oh my goodness, it's going to happen again. As we said before, it, it could happen. We're looking at the world again, going through another history history, historical cycle in where we're again threatened. And therefore, we're looking at either korban or korban. It's where we're going to take this world. It's, this is our choice. I don't think that we can do it unless we have that self-awareness, that self-confidence, that we can change not only ourselves, we can change our world. If we are clear about ourselves, we have the capacity to change ourselves and everything in our entire world around us. It took one Avram Avinu, one Yitzchak Avinu, one Yaakov Avinu. It takes only one Jew to rebuild the entirety of the future of Kal Yisrael. We've seen it after the Holocaust. This Sheris of Plato, these small fragments, look what it's brought. I should say, you know, along these lines, and Charlie, you surely know this from uh, some of the films, is that Rav Naich Weinberg made a bris in Eish Rav Shach came to the bris. Hmm. And he, he looked around and he says to Rav Naich Weinberg, he says, this guy's a Balchuva, this guy's a Balchuva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rav Shach was, he was in spal. So he said, he spoke at the asked him to speak. He said, it says, Shuva Yisrael ad Hashem lekecha ki chashalta ba'avaynecha. What's the connection? So he said, you can learn from Kichashalta Bavainecha how to be how to do tshuva. And he said, he said this. He says, if one man can kill six million Jews, one man can save six million Jews. Yeah, that's very powerful. There's an anecdote that a young man who was learning in the coil, the uh, the uh, Torah has, uh, I think it's called Neil Elif, or that was. Uh, one of the programs where they would do it, they work, work with um, Musmochim to give smicha. And he came to the Yer Rebbe and he says, where, where? He says, I'm an Eishat Torah. He says, he says, but I'm not a Baal Tshuva. He says, Taka for Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Taka, why aren't you a Baal Tshuva? Right, with that, we are, have the capacity to all to become Baal Tshuva if we're really going to be honest with ourselves because that's our connection. We're going back to our connection. So what is, you know, as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking to myself, there's so many people out there, myself included, that really deep down feel like we're not enough. We're not enough. That the Kodesh Baruch Hu's never really happy with us. That he's always got, there's always, Tisha B'Av is this day where we remember that we're not good enough. And then Yom Kippur comes and we're not good enough. And then Elul, we're not good enough. And then, I don't think we're ever good enough. And the the idea, and there's a balance between I'm not good enough because you got to get better, and I'm not good enough because something's wrong with me. How does a Jew strike the balance where he can get the ability to wake up in the morning and feel that Rabba Amuna Secha, and in its core, in his or her core, because I think every year probably has the power of being a little Avram Avinu, of, of turning around and changing the world, if they really, really believed that Rabba Amuna Secha, if the creator of humanity believes in you, then what, you, because you got a a bad grade or someone doesn't like you on the street or someone looks at you the wrong way, like, it shouldn't even bother us. How does a Jew get there? I just uh, thought I met an old Baal Tshuva who had been close to my father's and he says, he says, you know, I once asked your father, what's the Kabbalah for Moida'ani? He said, it's very simple. Moida'ani, we have to remember Sani, and we have to remember who the Lefonecho is. If we can differentiate it, we can see the Ani and the Fonecha, then we know where we're going to start our day. And I think that that's very, that's clear. Because it doesn't start off praising Hashem first, it's a Moda Ani. We first have to start off 
acknowledging who I am, and then then I can stand before Hashem. That sense of inadequacy, first of all, it's the Nisoyan of, of all humanity. Secondly, it's unique to Klal Yisrael because Hashem gave us the Torah and He gave us the capacity to change the world. So it's, it's an awesome responsibility and an awesome opportunity, and it was given to us. We can do it. That's why it was given to us. So therefore, we start off our day saying, wow, I have a neshama to her. I have the capacity to bring another piece of Torah into this world. Wow. There's a, I don't know how much time we're going to yeah, have. There's a, there's a beautiful thought that from the Vilna Goyen. Chosid can quote the Vilna Goyen. about the best time in the world. The best time in the what world. could be better? He asked the question at every end of every Shemona Esrei. We say, we're finished, we're done, we take three steps back. Says, what's the connection We finish It's the replacement for the carbon. So we say, because when the Besamigdash was destroyed, we lost Nevuah. We lost prophecy, the ability to have somebody to give us clarity. What did the Navi do? There were 600,000 of Israel. What did the Navi do? What were all these 599, 975 other Nevi'im do? He says, when a Jew had wanted to know what mitzvah they're supposed to work on, what piece of Torah they're supposed to work on, they'd go to the Novi, the Novi would look into their neshama, the Sherish neshama, and tell them what they needed to do. We lost that. Shibana will come back. Each one of us will know what our piece of Torah. So we understand that each one of us has a unique piece of Torah. Nobody else can do it. Until Ben Zayma said how to say Kriya Shmaya in the night, Ben Azariah couldn't say it. So if each one of us has a unique piece of Torah, it's up to us every day to go search for that one piece of Torah which is uniquely us. When we do that, we're mashlim. We're that one oyster makes all of the 599,000 oysters in Torah complete. Right. Amazing. Wow. That is an unbelievable... I think as, as, as an idea to walk out of Tishrav with the appreciation of who we are and what we have to fight for. That's the game. That's yeah. the idea. Not and to be afraid. Not to be afraid of what's going to happen in the world. It's just up to each individual. It's individually. Because otherwise, otherwise you get lost in that. Otherwise you look around and you, you get lost. Mm-hmm. But that's the var. I think that's exactly the, 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 the message. To stay focused on what you're doing. To stay focused on who you are. To stay focused on how important you are to the larger picture. And you keep on walking down your path. That's our, right. that, that's our I just want to at this moment just thank you for hosting us here in, in your shul and uh, being so forthcoming. We'll be able to give Claudius a little bit more of that link. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We thank the Rav for his for his time for being here with us. Yes, I, I think that this is just a, you know the continuation of the thought, just appreciating who we are and and not. Not getting carried away with whatever else is going on around us in the world. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing that I, and just what, what the Rub said earlier, we have to just sort of get into our kishkas. Because it, it was, it was so powerful. The, the idea of the confidence being the, the, the recognition of our relationship to who we are to the Rabona Shalom, to what he believes in us, to how important it is that we wake up in the morning and see our value. And that's, 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 it's the, it's the ultimate parallel to the beginning of the show, right? When Dine Abraham said, you gotta really love Tyra, 
why would you really delve into it if you didn't think you had a part in it? Why would I just like history, like as growing up, like chemistry, like you know what I'm saying, like chemistry? I had, I, no, I had no part in chemistry. I have no I part think. in chemistry. It was like get past the regents. Right. That was the end of chemistry right. and bio and whatever other stuff that you know I had to do. It's you know so then because I couldn't be a doctor, I had to be a lawyer. But that's a whole other story for a different show. But the idea is that as I disconnect myself from what I think I'm going to have an impact in an area, that area becomes less important to me. And once I realize that this is part of who I am, it's not that I am less valued because I'm not good enough now. What I'm not good enough now is part of my journey of becoming the person that I could be. Right. And like the Rav said, if you're able to wake up in the morning with a moda'ani in which you actually slow down, as the, as the Rav was saying, I'm thinking to myself, like, why do I go through moda'ani in 0.3 seconds? You know what I'm saying? Like, the idea that we could just slow down a drop, just slow down on everything. You know, it's unbelievable. We're so fast. Things are going by so fast. Our families, our kids are growing up. We look at other Jews and we judge them so quickly. We judge ourselves so quickly. If we just slow down a drop and realized that the creator of humanity believes in me. And like the Rav said, I have something that I need to add to the larger Jewish people. Period. Not maybe. Not if it works out. Not I hope so. Period. And my only job in this world is to take... And I also love what the Rev said. He goes, relax with the world a little bit. You know, you can go crazy with the world. Right. Some guy's sitting in the middle of nowhere. Someone's sitting... Somebody sitting around in, in the middle of nowhere is like worrying, like, how am I going to deal with Iran? Right. I'm sitting I'm sitting, and I honestly going, like, what am I going to do about Iran? No one's calling me about Iran. And, right. like, meanwhile, the whole... My whole life is... There's so much to do. And each and every one of us, I think, has the same amount in that area. Yeah. I, I, it's a little scary, though. But, uh, it, it it shakes you up there like I have this responsibility also. If I'm really that great, then I gotta yeah. ca- I gotta carry that burden. And I think that's a lot of where Tishrev ends in, in that. Tishrev I think ends in in an area in which we realize that if Hashem is still driving us crazy about the whole base on Migdash, it must mean that we can get it back. Because no father would ever make his kids crazy if he could never get a ninety in math. Right. At some point they're like, listen, he's a seventy student, like he. He'll he'll be fine, you know what I'm saying? Like he'll he'll make more money than everybody else, you know what I'm saying? But like, no father, no caring father would ever drive their kids nuts if they didn't believe that the potential was in them. We would not be on the floor. We would not be crying. We would not. Hashem would not be still doing this for us if he didn't, in his core, and understand that there's something in our core that we need to bring out. And I I also think that you know sometimes, and and I had this thought today that. <clears throat> We we also don't realize what it was like to have the base Hamikdash, and like why we need it so badly. You know, sometimes we're we're davening for this and we're sitting on the floor. We don't realize what life was like with the base Hamikdash. You know, we want a specific thing to be better in our lives, but when the base Hamikdash was around, that was better. Yeah. And like in in a way, like that's that's what we're that's what we're davening for. That's what we're hoping for. Right. Right. I know we are Rawlsons. We're, we're, we're I think we're trying to get Rawlsons on the line. Is he on the line Try yet? To, we're, we're, Rob Wallace, okay, good. So yes, we, I, I think we should. I think we should try to get Robbie Wallace on because yeah. you know I felt like Charlie. I, I watched many different programs today, and we, we discussed that there were so many 
options out yeah. there. And I felt like every option had Rabbi Wallace. Yeah, I gotta tell you, <laughs> I felt and the like, exact same way. I watched him last night, Torah, and I'm like, wow, Rossin's at night. Then I'm like, in the morning, I'm like, okay, I think he's at Arnav in the morning. I'm like, and in the afternoon. I was on the Chavetz Chaim for my head. I felt like Rabbi Wallace was all, all over there. Someone said to me, I saw Rabbi Wallace, and I said, where? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. I, I, as, I, honestly, as I was going, that the exact same thought, Hashem should give him cards. And, and the funny part was that it wasn't redundant, and it, you did, it kind of new. didn't get sick it of him. It was new, and it was a different angle, and it was on yeah. topic. And I think that Rabbi Wallace has so much to offer on the topic of coming to the close of Tisha B'Av in terms of what we could take forward Right. Uh, you know, in that message. Do we have Rabbi Wallace on the phone? Rabbi Wallace, welcome to the show. is on the phone, actually. Just did a pigeon on Ben, Baruch Hashem. Look at that. If you weren't bored for the rest of Tisha B'Av, you just did a pigeon yeah, on Ben. Yeah, they, they, well, seen, they could video that and play it next to B'Av on a different program also. Uh, 100%. 100%. Well, seen, it's he great to have baby, you back baby, on. The baby was happy to see me because I'm not a moyo. It was famous. <laughs> right, right. He was happy. It was a couple Baruch of Hashem. dollars. We called it a day. Rabbi Wallace, I, made t- money, I made money on Tisha B'Av, <laughs> absolutely. It's the only money actually that's just today that's the pigeon at Ben, claiming the pigeon at Ben is the, is the cleanest, most Kaddish nigga money said it's the same as when the Beit HaMikdash existed. So Hashem gave me this course to end my Tishabal. Like being in the Beit HaMikdash, Tishabal Ben has not changed at all. And Rabbi Wallace, well, I should mention that I'm also a kind. My father, Olav Shalom, once did a pidyon Ben. He went to his Rebbe Rutavi Goldstein. He said he wants to give the money back. You know, he doesn't need the money. He should give the money back. Rutavi said, keep it. It's the cleanest money you'll make your whole life. Right. Right. Rabbi, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on another year. Baruch Hashem. I think it's year after year we get you on the show. I know that you had so many different stories and lectures that you've given over the course of the past 24 hours. As we get to the last 45 minutes of the of the, uh, the Tzom, is there a message in particular that you would like to leave us with that you think would be sort of the, the, the parting sort of idea as someone starts to end their fast? I think the, the, the ending thought is something that I saw in... Uh, where he says that um, if, a, if a, this woman had this baby and she ended up um, being thrown out of her house and she traveled from place to place and everywhere she went, nobody wanted her. So she was in total dullness. But all the time she was wandering, she held, she cradled this little baby, her child. She nursed the baby. She cradled the baby. And so she went from place to place. She was in dullness. But the baby was not in Gullus because he was always in the same place, cradled in her hand. So he didn't, he didn't feel like he was in Gullus. So Shimshin says that if our Tisha B'av, we reunite our relationship with Hashem and we feel that we're cradled in his hand, then Tisha B'av is a sad time because the Shekhinah, right, which is the woman in this, in this story, is going from place to place. But if Christ would only have the right relationship with Hashem, we would not be in Golas, even though the Shekhinah is in Golas. But since we don't have that relationship, and we may have a relationship where we're even holding Hashem's hand, or we're standing next to Hashem, but that way, when the mother goes from place to place, the child is going place to place. So the only way the child stays where it is, is when it's cradled in Akkadosh Baruch hand. And that's the chila that we have to leave Tishabov with that it's not enough Hashem that you walk with us. You know, they have that whole story in the sand, whatever. <laughs> it's not enough that you walk with us. We need you to pick up Christ and hold us and carry us. So even if we're in Gullus, we won't feel it. And and it's such a important message. And we are 
so important, Charlie, I told you last week when I met you, that, that Rav Shimshin says that the, the simcha, the moyed, you know, the moyed of, of this yadif is amazing why it's a moyed, because truthfully, you know, when Mashiach comes, I understand why it's a moyed, but if you look at it with the kiddos today, there's nothing to celebrate, but no, I mean, and those people, what's the moyed? He says very beautifully, he says the story of a princess who was very close to her mother, to her father. They were inseparable, but then one day she gets married to a king, and she moves very far away, and too far. She doesn't really see her father anymore. And one day the villagers come and tell her a very terrible tragedy happened to your father. This beautiful palace with all his garden and millions, millions of dollars of decorations and furniture and gold and silver, all burnt down to the ground. There's nothing left. And the queen, this girl, the daughter, starts to dance and starts to sing and starts to jump up and down. And the villagers are like, oh, my gosh, we, we thought you were close to your father. This is terrible. Did you have a fight? She said, no, no, you don't understand. She said, my father's a king. He has no palace. Where is he going to live? He's not going to go to the peasants and live in their huts. He's going to come to me because I also have a palace. So even though it's very sad that my father lost everything, but I gained everything. So as Shimshin Pinkus says, that we sit on the floor, and of course, when the father shows up at the palace, the daughter's not saying, I'm happy your, your house burned down. She's like, Tati, it is so sad. You lost everything. I know how much work you did to build it, and it was so beautiful, and the people used to come see the beauty, and I feel so bad. But deep inside, she's smiling, but... But he's home. He's home with me. Says Rav Pinchas, at Tishabov, when we sit on the floor and we cry, the the, the tiniest and everything is, yeah, Hashem lost everything. But the Moyet, deep in our hearts, we're sitting on the floor. The Moyet is, but he's not. He's not going to Russia. He's not going to Iran. He's coming to us because we're the only Malchus in the world. Also, we make this Kasanti, the Shachanti, the Saikam, but he has no more base on Eidash, and he has to dwell amongst us. And that's how you have to leave Tishabov. You have to leave Tishabov with a very sad day, but deep down in your heart, there has to be a smile that Kurdish Baruch who lives amongst us. Of course, our houses have to be a place that he wants to dwell. And I think that's our job, and our, our job, and I, I ended up speaking a lot about this, you know, we all think that we're being affected by the world, and by the Supreme Court, and by Iran, and by pre- about the president, and all the different laws, and all the craziness that's going on in this psych world called the world. But the truth is that the Jewish nation is not being affected by what the world does. The Jewish nation is affecting what the world mm-hmm. does. Yeah. So when we, as the heart and soul of the world, just become a little immoral, the reaction of the world is great immorality, and the Midah Kinegamida Hashem says, you created by your immorality, that immorality, now you must live amongst that immorality. Mm-hmm. So if, if we become Kaddash, we become holy, we have nothing to worry about the type of marriage that the Supreme Court Voted. If we love each other and don't fight with each other and not jealous of each other and have to stick to this, if we're the vater to each other, then Iran 
but all their nuclear missiles can do nothing to us. So it's our job on Tishabov to think about this past year, because that really tells us what our Tishabov last year was about, and it wasn't such a great year for Israel, that's for sure. So we have to think about, we cause the effect on the world. They don't cause it on us. We need to take our game and bring our game up. And if we do that, being that we're the heart, if the heart is healthy, then the rest of the body is getting blood. So I think that, and I spoke about it a lot over Tishabov. I think that we as Kalei we have to remember that the king lost his palace and we'd love him to come back to us. We have to remember the closest that we had, as the rabbi was saying before us, when there was a base of Middash, there was no divorce, there was no Down syndrome, and there was no autism, and there was no cancer, and there was Shlayipa, a woman never had a miscarriage, and the smoke and the, it went up straight. If you look at the 10 things that happened in the base of Middash, we... Echa Yashva Bada who said the world was screaming, How could you are everything? You guys had everything. How could you be alone? Right. And so we have we have to change that, Charlie. We have to change that. And we're only gonna know how good our Tishabov was this year when we get to next year. Yeah, and I rather... And if we get to next year and we have the base on Mikdash and I'm back at my job, then you know we did the right thing. Right. And don't forget us when you're in, when you're in your job. Don't don't make sure you take care of us. We're going to wait on those long lines. That's going to definitely be happening with all those korbanos. Charlie, Eretz Pesach. You got to hook me up. Eretz Pesach was the longest line because everybody was bringing korbanos. Yeah, we're Jews I, don't I, do well on lines. You know. It's, right. So I'm it, saying it publicly because I love Charlie so much. I'm going to let you cut the line. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Because, you know, we've been on a pace-out program together more than once. You see a bunch of Jews on the line. Forget about it. But, Rabbi, no, it's not a good thing. one of the things I really right. wanted to, um, I really want to just sort of, before I let you go, I really want to delve in with you. Because we had this close, we had Rev Torsky here a few minutes ago, and he, he brought up this idea that I just, it, it's resonating with everybody here, and we've been talking about it throughout the show. And, and you hit on it as well, and I want to sort of nail it down before um, we move on, which is this idea of the self-confidence of the Jew, which is the this feeling, this understanding, this internal truth that we don't need to walk around and be thrown by the world. That, that yes, the world gets scary sometimes, and we can't sit around on our hands and just you know remote control Hashem. But at the same time, we have to know at our core that. Iran, and this is crazy for anyone to really think about, except for someone that really understands the depth of what Torah is, that our actions, our internal in individual actions, are impacting the world around us. And when we walk around with that level of responsibility, with that level of pride, it comes with a little bit of fear of just how how powerful it can be, but that's the pride that a Jew walks around with to walk out of Tishuv and say, you know what? It is our opportunity to really say and go out and try to bring the base on Migdash. So I, I want to end with this thought. So you're talking about Iran. I want to end with this thought. So the Maisa, it says about Amphurim that the, 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 the whole Takhan and Zera against us was never ripped up. It was pushed aside and the Haraldsburg came and the last Nazi they got on. He said, Purim Spiel, and now it's coming back. And if you look at the story straight up, you can ask my Rebbe about this. You look at the story straight up. So you have a Melech. We have a Melech. I'm not going to go into it clearly, but everyone who looked at could understand. Akashverus was a farmer. was actually a stable boy. He came from nowhere. His whole power was that he married Vashti. He was the, the Evet who became a Melech. And he had a Haman 
who was a Persian. Uh, we know he came from Persia, where the Ayatollah is coming from. And the Ayatollah two weeks ago said on a Friday that even though there's an agreement, I still am not backing off that we, the Iranian people, will destroy the Zionists. We will destroy the men, the women, and their children. That was his watching. Exactly, exactly what Oman said. Coming out of Persia. I love it. But he needed, he needed the signature of the king, of the king who came from where he came from. And Akashveros gave him the signature. And our king in America gave them the signature. It's exactly, and where did they sign it? In Austria? Where the final solution by the Germans was written. And we know that nothing happens from nothing. So everybody's wow. so scared. And I'm saying, you don't have to dispute. You know why? Because what killed Haman? His own weapon. His own weapon killed him. His Mishnah Yayin killed him. And, his, and, his, so the, tr- and the tree that he, that he the, the pole that he put right, up. The tree, exactly. So let them build a missile. Let them build the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world. Listen, if you do the right thing, that missile will end up turning around and destroy Iran. You don't have to worry about missiles. That's what happened on Purim. The tree that he created to hang Mordecai, he hung on. The missiles that they're making, they're making. Amazing. But we, we, Clydesville, we control what happens with those missiles. And if we do what we're supposed to do, like Bilal was killed by his own sword of snakes, as Moshe told Bilal, use his weapon against him, don't use his fist, use the sword of snakes to kill him with his own weapon, they will destroy themselves with their own weapon. And we will sit back and have the same problem that we had a long time ago. Clyde Israel, you have nothing to worry about. If you're close to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, you will let them build a missile, and the missile will end up destroying Iran. Wow. And that's, that's what Klai Israel has to understand. We are bigger than life. We are carried by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. We are bigger than anything, any missile, any laws, any Supreme Court, anything in the world. We are bigger than anybody. And that's what you need to understand. And that's the Mayate. That when you're sitting Shiva... And you come to maybe an Akhamama, like I told Charlie, what do you do? You celebrate the life of the person. You talk about what he was and the greatness. So we sat today, Shiva. We sat, but we, what did we talk about? The greatness of Hashem and the greatness of the Nation of And that will trigger, like Rabbi Eli Mansour said, that will trigger Hashem's feeling to bring us back. Wow. Don't wow. worry. We, as long as we do what we're supposed to, we're fine. Rabbi, as my grandmother always said to me, from your mouth to God's ears. Yeah, and I, Rabbi Wallace, I'll certainly be looking out for you on the next ballot. <laughs> Rabbi, it, it's been an honor to have you on the show. We thank you again for your always encouraging, inspiring and words. And we wish you an amazing, amazing, amazing a year in which you should be so to continue to bring your message to Klal Yisrael. And together we should be so to be dancing and lining up so to have you take care of us in the base of English. May we see it this year. Amen. Amen. Oh, man, thank you. Thank, thank you, Rabbi. Okay. And um, before we go to a short break here, Charlie, I just wanted to mention that we're, our video is down again. There's a technicality that's uh, the problem with the video. The audio is still streaming online. It's not your computers. We hope to get it up shortly. Uh, I want to mention that we are sponsored, Project Inspire is sponsored by Gourmet Glot of Cedarhurst, by Funding Resources, by Saxony Title, 
and for Zchus Varatzlacha for Aaron Elio Ben Ronit. We're going to go to a short 60-second break, Charlie, and we'll be back, and we'll discuss a little more of the films that were yeah. uh, that were put out today that people saw. You don't want to miss the rest of the show. We've got Giorman in the studio here. We've got a lot more to talk about. We'll see you in a minute. Back here on the radio show, we're as we're ending the end of, of Tishbev here. It's about 8:33 on my watch, which means you've got a couple of minutes left. It doesn't mean you get excited about food. It means that the entire day, which was filled with Torah, which is filled with inspiration, there are people that have spent hours preparing to inspire you today. There are rabbis who have spent an entire day running back and forth and back and forth just to give us all a job of inspiration and if we leave this yantif if we leave this tish above with just that we got to eat we've kind of missed it and we're here today we're here with, with yassi friedman we're here on the radio show here trying to wrap up the day to make it meaningful to end up on a high it's not about sadness it's about growth we've got a lot that we've spoken about for those that are joining us right now we had the exclusive speak to diane abraham who really pushed us a little bit to talk and to deepen our learning to get it to slow down a drop and to feel the wisdom of what we have and feeling that wisdom will change and how we approach it. And we had an amazing individual who's with us right now, Roger Goldberg, who spoke a little bit about how he did that. And how he was able to, in his life, really tap into feeling that wisdom. And I wish that all of us, and I have it here for those who were listening to me before, he wrote it, he said something that I wrote down. And I, my bracha is that I wish that all of us feel what he felt, which was, and I wrote it down, the splendor of what Judaism has to offer. And Roger's with us right now, and he's going to Israel right now. We had Rabbi Gold, Rabbi Finger on, talking about the power of Achdus and how Aaron was the one person that was recorded in, his, in Torah for someone that died because he, he symbolized Achdus. And we have Rav Torsky, and Rav Torsky really took us to the next level. And he explained to us the idea of self-confidence, and the idea that every Jew needs to walk around with a certain measure of self-confidence in them, and you start your morning every day with a certain appreciation and a confidence that God infused his confidence in you and so you should have one in yourself and then our job is to find our peace in Torah wherever you are wherever you're listening I want you to fully understand that unless you're bringing your peace to Torah our nation can't walk the next step no matter where you're sitting right now thinking that trust me I got no pieces left 
It didn't come from me. It came from Rotorsky. Really, each and every one of us has that piece that, has to, that we have to bring in. And we just heard from Roy Wallerstein, who I think closed it beautifully, in which he said that we really got to stop worrying so much about the world. We have the power to affect even nuclear weapons. And if this is how we walk out of Tishabov, if this is what we take with us, if we walk out not broken and hungry, but we walk out strong, and we walk out ready and poised and on mission to realize who we are, to realize that the reason why we're still dealing with this is because God has faith in us, we'll be able to make sure Tishabov doesn't happen again. What we have in the studio right now is Guy Orman. Guy Orman, for those of you who don't know, is video... I, I don't know how to describe him. He is, every time I see an awesome video, somehow I got big all over it. And it's an individual who has spent a lot of time with with Project Inspire. I know that him and Yossi and Rabbi Solomon and so many others and Rabbi Ginninger were all part of this great uh, film, The Tenth Man, that came out. Gee, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Year two, yet again. Year three. Year three. <laughs> year three, actually. Okay, year three. Uh, thanks for having me. It. It's a pleasure being here. And, um, you know, I just want to first off, say thank you to Yossi for having that creative inspiration um, who came up with the idea for the 10th man. He's the one who called us, you know, and emailed us about it and we're like, that sounds a little crazy. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. it happened. Yossi is, Yossi definitely is pushing the boundaries <laughs> of, uh, of, of videos here. And, and I, I just want to mention about pushing the boundaries for a second, you know, and, and, and we actually have a witness here in the audience who could, who could witness this, but on my way into shul a few, a few weeks ago, someone stopped me. He's here in the crowd with us today. He said to me, so what's this year's film about? I start to tell him, and you know, your eyes light up like, really? Like you did that? You know, you, you know. And in the middle of davening, and I was davening in a shul in Flatbush. In the middle of davening, a father and son walk in, totally not from traditional Jews. They came from Mexico City, and I couldn't believe it. They're standing right next to me in shul, and I'm like, if this is not a message from the Rebbeinu Shlomo after making that film, like. For goodness sakes, you know, so of course I was right all over right, them, like right, I was, because I, I knew that I was being filmed. Right, of you know? course, he's got the, the hidden and film it, back there. It was Shabbos, but, uh, <laughs> and, and I think that that was the point of the film, is that we don't really notice these things until we see ourselves, so to speak, in a video. And I think that that was the accomplishment, really, of this film. You know, shortly after someone saw this film, uh, earlier in the week, because he was the sponsor of our film, he wrote in a beautiful email how there was a fellow who davened mincha with them at work, he never went over to him, and he said, how can I be that guy in the film and not go over to him? And he went over to him. The fellow came into him crying. He said, you don't know how much that meant to me. Yeah. He was blown away. He said, I don't know where this is going to go, but like, you should tell, he said, you should tell Rabbi Solomon he's inspiring people. I believe we could get Rabbi Solomon on the, on the, on the phone. We have, Rabbi Solomon, we have Rabbi Solomon with us on the line to speak more. Rabbi Solomon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here again. It's great to have you on. We've got Guy here, we've got Yassi, and we're about to ask It's great to have you on. I've got to tell you, one of the things that I have to ask you, for those of you who are joining us right now for the first time and don't know what's going on, The Tenth Man was a film that Project Inspire put out this year. Basically, it was a almost like a dual film in which it profiled one person who was able to walk over to somebody in a shul, give him a parrot's villain, make a relationship with him, and led him to ultimately a greater life of Torah observance. And at the same time, there was a hidden camera aspect of the film in which they put hidden cameras all through a shul in Brooklyn to see who would go over to an individual that they had they had put in there. They literally got a guy to sit there all day in which he looked obviously out of place and they tried to count who would go there and the numbers were um, really abysmally low. And Rabbi Solomon, i got to tell you something. I, watching this film, I was so impressed by a bunch of things in which uh, you had led the film and spoke about it. But i got to ask you, what was it like when you were pulling guys out 
and trying to in the and I saw you in the nicest way sort of get a sense from them what they were feeling why did they go over why they didn't go over what was it like as you were going through this watching it and interacting with the people that didn't go over to that person you know Charlie I know you for so long and I'm thinking what is he going to ask me <laughs> what is he going to what is he going to focus on and I can't believe that you chose that that moment that this is completely unrehearsed uh, that you chose that moment. That it was. That was such an amazing time, and the reason that it was so fascinating is because of the duality of it. If people who saw the film will know exactly what I'm talking about. This is the gotcha moment. Right. This is the moment where we get you, and it's like almost cruel. So I'm like, I'm like feeling horrible that I have to expose these people and tell them that Abe was standing right next to you and you did nothing. And at the same time, I'm excited because I know that when it, we see it on the film, it's going to get people to say, I'll never do that again. So it, it was such a mixture of emotion to be excited that I know this thing is working great, but at the same time, it's tragic. And you know what? Come to think of it, isn't that what Tisha Bub is? It's yep. that combination, the dual thing of being tragic, and at the same time, hopeful. The day of Mashiach coming, the day of, of as we say, no tachna, no slichus, the line ma'ed. It's exactly that dual feeling that we have. That's what was going through uh, when I was making the film and with, with Yossi and Guy and everybody else. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny, as you, were, as you were going through it, I'm thinking to myself, that, like, it's the Ani Yosef moment. I'm thinking to myself, that would totally be me. Like, I would be there, I wouldn't be paying attention, I'd be running around, and when, as soon as you see yourself, so to speak, in that same moment, mess, missing it, your feeling is, I, I never saw myself that way. And what I thought was so, was so powerful about the film and what you were able to bring out, and, and, and you struck that balance so properly, is that idea that we're all a little bit too preoccupied to care. And one thing that I, that I really resonated with that you said at the end of the show, and I'd love for you to comment on it a little bit here, is... You mentioned at the end something, and as you said it, I couldn't believe it, and the minute you said it, I nodded through it. When you said, well, it's because, it's because, and you go, you know what? It's because we don't care enough. There, I said it. And when you said that, I'm like nodding and going, yeah, yeah. And then you said it, and I go, well, yeah, yeah, he's right. It is because I don't care enough. Because if I cared enough, I would reach out. Like, that's, was it, was, was that something that you just sort of wanted to say? Was something that as you were trying to find the words, you're trying to hide and you go, you know what, let me just be straight. How did you get to the point where you're able to sort of call us all out in a way and say, you know, deep down we don't care enough? Yeah, it's completely un- unrehearsed, unscripted. Uh, while we were filming it, I just, I just felt like saying that. Like, you know what? Leave me alone with the excuses. You know, that's the fact. We really just don't care enough. And, and you've asked, Charlie, you've asked people on the, on the program earlier when I was listening and about why that is so. And I, I just want to tell you, I, I, I don't know exactly why that's so, but I still want to give the listeners an idea of what to do about it. Is that okay? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and that is simply that we, we are Rachmanim by Shonim the Gemlechatan. The Mishnah tells us that that's in our DNA. That's who we are. It's in our DNA. We are programmed to be able to do, to be Gomel Chesed. However, because of all that's going on in this world, and you know the whole story, the me generation, the iPod, the iPod, the iPod, 
everything is I, I, me, me, everything, etc. So we get away from caring for other people. So how are we supposed to combat that? How are we supposed to do anything about it? I mean, I know it's in there somewhere in the DNA, but it's so buried deep down, I just can't get to it. So what are you supposed to do? And my answer is, you know what it is? You know what caring is now today? It's a conscious decision. You have to sit there and decide, you know what? I'm going to care about someone else. If you just wait for the DNA to kick in, it may never happen. Because that's how steeped we are in the, in the narcissism of this world and in the, in the selfishness of this world. It's so difficult for us to get there that we have to make a conscious decision. We have to wake up in the morning and say to ourselves, today I'm really going to look out for everybody else. And that's what Rav Chaim Velozhna said, is that's why you were created. Loyla atzmai nivra. You were not created for yourself. The purpose of your being created is because of other people. You are there for other people. And I don't want to go too much into it, but the people who I'm talking to, you listeners are listening, Yessi Friedman's of the world, and the Charlie Harari's of the world, that's how they're living. They're living for other people. And that's what we have to do. We've got to take an example from these people around us, and make a decision. It's unfortunate. I don't think my grandfather ever did that. I don't think, I don't think your grandfather ever had to decide that he was going to live for other people. But I think we have to, because we have yeah. no choice. Yeah. And I have to just decide to do it, and that's the only way we and, and I think that I think that the, um, Yaakov, the film points out also is that, and this is the feedback that I got from many people, including some that I was actually watching the film with today, is that you get the sense that people get upset at the people in the film for like, how could you not? Um, when in reality, us getting upset, we're really getting upset at ourselves and trying to make that conscious decision to live for other people. And I know that, you know, we, 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 we had the concept and trying to figure out exactly how to do it right, but, you know, really, Guy and his crew really figured out how to bring that point home in a very sharp way. Yeah. Before we get to Guy, Rabbi, I just want to tell you personally, um, I'm watching the film with my wife last night. I was telling you at the beginning of the show. And, and the film's going great, and we're watching, we're blown away. And then you say, we don't care enough. And I look at my wife, she looks at me, and she goes, and we go, you know what, I think he's right. And what we did today, just so you know, because you just said that word, we, me and my wife did today is we made a list of every person in our lives that we didn't try hard enough for. What a, a neighbor, a friend, a relative, that we're making excuses. No, because we're too close, because we're too far, because I'm like this, because I'm like that. Really, I would do it, but it's not really my place, not my point. And we made a we-don't-care-enough list. And I think that what you're saying is exactly right. We're never going to get to it. You just got to make a decision. Are you willing to be a little uncomfortable? Do you have something that you believe is something that's amazing? And if so, you become uncomfortable. And like that's the end of it. And then they say no, you go on with your life. And then you get up to 120, and you're not on the video camera. Because at 120, they got much better equipment. I mean, Geese got great stuff. But their bonus album's probably got amazing hidden cameras that we don't even know about. And, you know, maybe you'll... You know, so I just wanted to let you know how important that was to me. Wow, I'm blown away by that uh, by that call to action, and that you actually did it and did the, probably the best thing you could possibly do. Yes, you know, when you and I were talking you know, for the past, I don't know how many months about this and, and how to do it properly. But let's be honest, you and I, we thought that that what what happened on that film, we thought that that's what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? So w- wouldn't it have been great if we would have been shocked, if we would have said, oh, my God, at least I would have ex- 
expected, and they really hardly anybody came over. But the fact is, is that we knew it. Right. We knew that what was going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I should mention, you know, we, we, we had a lunch break that day because there's actually 45 minutes in Landau Shul that does not have Shachras or Mincha. You should know that as a fact. Um, we had a lunch break, and, and people were asking me, like, what does Abe think? You know, and, and people have asked me this since, what is, what is Abe thinking about? You know, and, uh, I, we asked that to Abe, and Abe, totally not knowing, like, kind of what, what we wanted to get out of him, or what we wanted to get out of the film, he was blown away by the three people that did come over to him. Right, right. He knew uh, them by name. <laughs> he knew exactly what he showed, they showed him to Davin or not. You know, and, and it's funny that, yeah. like, we're like, buddy, you met 1,500 people today, you know? And those, yeah. That. So that was. Uh, Maybe we can share the story about the Kaddish. Yossi, do you want to tell that story? With, the guy who came over to him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think we'll save some of the the, the outtakes of yeah. that for another time, but, a more okay. appropriate time. But it, it was just amazing to me what takes place, you know, in 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 a shul of that size with that many people a day. And the truth of the matter is, I I and I said this, and and I know that you know certain people have contacted me were upset, at, you know, on some level. But the point is, this was not a I got you film. This right. was more of we could do better wherever we are. And this was just a little bit of a wake-up call. I think yeah. that people will find themselves in a situation where they'll say, oh, that, this is that. You know, this is that moment. This is that situation. Yeah. Before we move on, I wanted to take one more step out to really thank Ray Tversky for what he's done for us and giving us his shul and giving us the opportunity to be here and, and spending some time on the, on the radio show with us. It's a big excuse to be here and uh, to be able to have that. And we thank Ray Tversky for his kindness, his hospitality, and his Absolute. wonderful words. Absolutely. And always. And Gee, can I ask you a question? I mean, I, I mean I, I, we've been through a lot, and we've been through this. We did this thing years ago on the Data Disconnect, which Gee pulled some tricks. I don't know where he got it from. How many hidden cameras did you have? Where were you shooting from? How did you put them all in there? That's a very good question. We actually uh, tested it out before we, you know, before we went into production. We were trying to figure out what can we do. So I guess I'll give you some of the secrets we did. Yeah, that's um, what the show's all about. Abe's glasses had camera had a camera in it. Did he really? Yeah. So we got the you know the HD camera glasses, and we had to test out a two different a couple different types to see which one really looked the best. Wow. Um, we had a coffee cup, a coffee mug that had a had a camera in it. So if oh, you're ever I'm in a school, watch out. You never know if I'm someone's loving this. Because um, I saw one was yeah. right next to him. Where'd you put in the? No, the, that, oh, was, so that was. So we it. had a bag that. You know, it looked like a bag. Let's say someone's carrying in to a shul, and we cut a hole in it, and we put a GoPro in there, and we had that set aside. Um, we had also a camera up top and Ezra Snushum going down, that which I was saw. like our main angle. And we had a guy sitting there with a yarmulke. I mean, he was a firm guy, so no one's going to bother him. He has a camera in a shul. No one's gonna, you know, someone did. He's, you know, he was sitting there learning the whole time. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, wow. So we really How many cameras did you have? Uh, that's what three, four. It's about four, and then we had some. We had access to some other. Uh, Cameras, security cameras. Oh, it's, it's, including the security cameras. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and how long did it take you guys to just cut this up? It must have taken a long time. I know. I, I love how Rabbi Salman. Yeah. Is he still on the phone with us, right, Yaakov? Yeah, I love how you speak about the, the months and months that we thought of this. Um, <laughs> I think about 48 hours after we came up with the idea, we actually filmed it. But we this was four weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we pulled it off really quickly, and I gotta obviously give a shout out to Michael, who's one of my editors at Big Productions, who spent hours and hours and a couple overnights making sure that this got done with the direction with Yussi. They worked together um, tremendously. It was just a team effort. It would yeah. not have happened without everybody yeah. working as a team. Yeah, I think this was really great. If you haven't seen it yet, you gotta go to ProjectInspire.com, Project Inspire. 
dot com. You got to check out. It's called the Tenth Man. Whatever the price they ask you for, it's worth it. Um, it really was great. And I, 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 just, I just want to change subjects. And you, you had the source not only promoting of, of producing this film, but also the Project Witness film, which premiered right before Tisha B'av. And I should mention that I had a chance today to watch that film, and also a tremendous production. I feel bad that our video is not streaming. We had some unique clips to be able to show, but what was it like going down to Auschwitz, speaking to these survivors? You know, there there aren't that many left out there, and to be able to hear the inspiration, the emotion that they still speak with. It, it was a uh, that was a that was about a eight month or nine month project, and we spent. I don't know. I mean, I alone interviewed about 36 survivors, um, and we had about we had access to a total of 50 interviews with survivors, including your grandfather, who you mentioned earlier. Um, it was there's no words that can explain it. You know, it's when you read about the Holocaust and when you're watching films about the Holocaust, it's one thing, but when you're actually speaking to survivors for a minimum of an hour and a half to two hours each, um, you learn a tremendous amount. It makes a really big impact on you. When you go to to Poland. I was there for nine days and we were filming and we went to Treblinka and we went to Auschwitz and Medunik and we, we really captured, um, we also captured, we also interviewed survivors who still live in Poland who never left. Wow. wow. And there's actually a lot of that and that's a whole other film that could come out. You never know. Well, for um, you, who knows? You never know what could happen. But right. yeah, I noticed there was a yeah. woman over there on the film who spoke in Polish and it was... Yeah. Uh, we interviewed a lot of, we didn't use everybody because we just, we ran out of time in terms of how much time we could make the film. Um, but like you mentioned before, and we wanted to show a clip to everybody uh, who's listening, was we, we actually filmed um, with a drone um, in Auschwitz. We had special permission. We worked with the, the Auschwitz Foundation. We came at 6 o'clock in the morning before it opened up. At, uh, it opened up at 8 o'clock. We had two hours because we knew that once it's open and it's full of people, it's not going to look the same. Uh-huh. Um, and we filmed um, with a really high-end drone. We're not talking about a consumer drone. And we captured amazing, amazing imagery that gives you a n- different perspective, you, which is when you're walking around, it's one thing. When you're in the air and you see how large the killing machine that the Nazis oh created, it's oh very powerful. Yeah, I should mention that people can watch this film oh. on projectwitness.org. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. It's available there. Mm. There, was a, there was a beautiful event that took place on Rosh Chodesh Av that was uh, um, amazing. I spoke to people who were there. It was amazing. And again, the film could be watched at projectwitness.org and this, this footage that Guy's mentioning was just an addition to the film to give you a different perspective from the air of what, of what it was like to go through these camps. Right. We'll yeah. be putting out more short little videos along uh, around the year. Yeah. And I want to take a minute before we go to really thank Rabbi Solomon, who I think is still on the line, and you, Guy, for me. Yes, really? Still here. You're re- I really thank you for having me. Thank you for having me again. And it should be next year we should be broadcasting. From the rooftop of Asia Torah on Amen. Amen. We thank Rabbi Solomon for his wise words as always. And, and you, Guy, really, your, the ability to sort of take ideas and make them happen for our people, we appreciate it. And we thank wish you, you many, many years thank of you, good Yossi, stuff. It couldn't happen without people like you. Oh, well, <laughs> so. Thank you, Yossi. Thank you. It's a real schluss. All right, so this is, I think we're wrapping up over here. You know, I think that uh, this is the last few minutes, the final count, and if you will, the last six or seven minutes left before the show ends and Tishabov ends, and I hope that it's been a, uh, a, a meaningful fast for you. And Yassi, I want to take you the minute to thank you for the opportunity we had here together uh, to really get to speak to some real people and uh, really really think through what the day is all about. It was amazing. I mean, one after the other, really, you know, different angles, different messages, and uh 
to me, the biggest host, you know, to, to have Diane Abraham from London, you know, it, it, he already had his bagel. doesn't mean he's not <laughs> worn out from the day. And really, you know, that, that message that we, we, we heard from him um, regarding the we have to know the gift that we have and then everything else is details. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it really is. And, and the ability for us to sort of slow down a drop um, and, and get tougher, get stronger, you know, and, and be able to really appreciate who we have and realize who we are. That's it. I mean, that I think is really what it's all about. It's about really appreciating what we can accomplish and who we are. And that's that. If we can just get that and just really be a little bolder, really play a little stronger, a little deeper, we'll become better people. Yeah, I mean, the you know sometimes the the films you know get lost in the in the in the bigger picture, and people say, well, look what Tisha B'Av has become. You know, it's a day at the movies, and people say it sarcastically. In the end of the day, th- this is one of the ways that. You know, of being able to bring Tishbev a little bit more real. I think you know, so. it, it might be hard to mourn something that you don't know that much about, or we don't realize what it's like. You know, to have it. You know, to be able to recognize what we're missing. Yeah. But these, these, you know, important messages that all these different guests in our we had today really put in perspective for us. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And 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 I think that's really right. As we close here, I think the idea for us to think about, you know, as we're Walking away from Tisha B'Av, as we walk away from this day, as we've gotten through it, thank God. And for those of us that are in, in, Lo- in Los Angeles tuning in, sorry, you got a couple more hours left. Um, but everyone else further east is totally done. Uh, it's really important for us to sort of really appreciate who we are, what we can be, who we can become. And I think there's one word that I'm taking away from Tisha B'Av here, and it's a word that I hope that you guys take away. And the word that I have is challenge. That's a word that I'm going to really think about a lot, which is life is either going to be comfortable or it's going to be challenging. That's it. I mean, that's sort of how life plays out. It's going to be comfortable or it's not. And many of us are just hoping for comfort. We're just hoping that it's, you know, sort of all goes away and everything stops becoming less painful. And for many of us, our tishabovs are just, we remember the times where God made it uncomfortable, right? Like, that's the tish. We mourn the times where Gullus got less comfortable. And if God were just sweet and Gullus, it'd be a lot easier for us. That would be tishabov. This, like, can you sweeten the, can you sweeten the Gullus a little bit? Because I'm really happy where I am. Life is fine. I don't go to Israel. I'm just good. I'm good. Just don't mess anything up. Move the bombs away. Take away the Holocaust. Let me just sit alone, disconnected, and good. Um, and I think that that's really the, a way that leads us to a life of mediocrity. And we deep down know that's not the way it is. And I hate to break it to you, but God's never going to let us be mediocre. Just that's not how we roll with, with the wrong people. In truth, it's about challenge. It's about taking challenges, about becoming challenge, about becoming someone that is willing to take on the challenge, to walk over to that person that is sit different than you and be able to just sort of say hello, to slow down and just maybe take a drop more time to understand the wisdom of our Torah, to take a minute in the morning and just sort of say, hey, wait a second, the creative humanity feels that I'm valuable. That's challenging. And when you live a life in which you accept and embrace challenge. You live a life where, win or lose, you're going to be great. And I think that God will not let us not be great. Either we're going to go kicking and screaming, or we can get up and go ourselves. Mm. And I, I don't know what you think, Yossi, but I really do believe that, at the end of the day, our ability as a nation to stand up, to embrace challenge, to do things that are tough, to be willing to go beyond ourselves individually and collectively is, I think, the path that we need to get home. Yeah, it is, and it's not always easy. And there's no, definitely it's never things easy. That, yeah, there's definitely things in our way. And, and I think that Robert Tversky's uh, lesson of uh, to remember that it's first Ani, 
You know, yeah, first who I am great. and how great I am. Just just before we close out here, Charlie, just a couple of things. Firstly, Rabbi Chaim Samson, director of Project Aspire, wanted of to be here with us and I wasn't able to. It makes everything happen. Once again, Torah Anytime, who has been a partner of ours and is streaming this show right now. I want to thank ZK, who engineered this. I want to thank Nachum Siegel and his studio and his crew, who were really amazing throughout this process. Real to Real for their help in the technicalities of today's show, as well as Rabbi Yoni Zagatinsky, who helped uh, organize the show. And of course, our producers here, Yaakov Ginniger and Nisaka Silver, who are there making sure everything happened right and on time for the show. Yeah, and um, I think that's it. I think we're going to conclude out with a message that, you know, may we all merit to become the people that we're meant to be, to overcome the challenges that we're meant to overcome, and to know that every day of our lives is a day that we don't settle, to be comfortable, because the Jewish people can't be comfortable. We've got too much to do. We live every day with that mission of Moda'ani, to be able to be someone that could enjoy Torah, look over to our neighbor, reach out, and look up, and reach up to become the people we're meant to be. My bracha to you and to us is that this is the year we become who we're supposed to be. Next year, we'll see you in Yerushalayim. Amen. Amen.